Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Jenny Whitelaw. She's a Zen master and founder and CEO of the Institute for Zen Leadership. For more than 25 years, she's combined rich scientific background, senior leadership experience and mind-body practices in developing whole leaders. And what lies behind whole leadership and being a whole leader is actually one of the many topics that we are going to discuss in today's episode. She co-developed Phoebe, a validated personality test linking mind, body and essential modes of leadership. And formerly a senior leader at NASA, nonetheless, she led the integration of the space station program. She holds also a doctorate in biophysics, degrees in physics and philosophy, and a fifth degree black belt in Aikido. What a woman she is. She's also the author of four books, including her latest, Resonate. And this book and the content of it, obviously, is going to be the center of our conversation. What does resonance actually mean? What lies behind it? How can we show up as our best selves every day and use the concept of resonance? A fantastic, intriguing topic, and I cannot wait to share it with you in a moment. So do enjoy today's episode, and I speak to you again in a moment. Huge, huge welcome to my guest today, Ginny. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Kathleen. Great to be here. You know what? You are a guest of firsts. You're my first guest to literally be waiting for a tornado at the moment where <laughs> you are. How, uh, how do you feel about that at the moment? Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, if this podcast suddenly gets interrupted, at least now people know why. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's quite a commitment to still be here, to show up, to be smiling here and looking absolutely relaxed. And a tornado obviously brings a lot of energy with it. And one thing we are going to talk about today is indeed energy and how that plays a role in leadership. And this is just one of many topics we are going to discuss. And I'm very excited. But also, I said you are a guest of first. You are also the first guest I have on the show who's actually a Zen master. And I'm going to share the third first in a moment, or better, I let you share the third first, because quite often I ask children, in particular my niece, my nephew, hey, what is it you want to become when you are grown up, when you finished school? And my niece a few weeks ago said to me, you know what, I want to be a vet. I thought that's wonderful, lovely. 
But what did you want to become when you were a child, a little girl? Well, I looked up at those stars, Kathleen, and I wanted to go there. I wanted to be an astronaut. Wow. And what became of that dream? Well, it was something that burned fiercely in me and had me writing NASA when I was 13 years old as saying, okay, what classes do I take in junior high school? That's what we call it in the United States, junior high school, to best prepare me for my life as an astronaut. And they wrote back and it wasn't even a form letter. It was a real letter letter. Mm. And they said, because it started with, it doesn't matter what you do in junior high school, but by high school, you should be taking science and math. And they gave me a whole list of things to major in in college, you know, mm. astrophysics, aeronautical engineering, physics, you know, what, something to choose from. And I tacked that letter to my wall. So it did take me into science. I took every science and math class under the sun. And when I got out of graduate school, I was in my first job at Bell Labs, there was a little ad from NASA that they were accepting applicants for the astronaut job. So I, I did indeed apply. Amazing. And, and they invited me for an interview. And they, I mean, I got quite far in their process. But what happened was I went to NASA. They, they suggested I come get operational experience. And ended up going into management, not into space. I ended up becoming the deputy manager for integrating the space station program. So I learned just a ton there and even learned a great deal about what happens when you get stuck on a dream and stubbornly stuck in the sense of not really listening to life because that's what happened to me. And it was really life-changing and maybe for a while life-threatening that uh, it really affected my health until I could finally stop and let go and really take a look at what my life was about. You mentioned so many big topics right now. Not listening to life. Tell us a little bit more about that. What, what does that actually mean? And the second part of the question is probably, how did you learn or start to listen more to life? You know, this idea of listening and opening up our senses and paying attention to what is going on, I think has burned so much in me since working on Resonate, you know, in the book Resonate, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But when you think about it, our senses are the way we take in energy, the energy of what is going on. Mm -hmm. And this idea of listening to life is a sense of openness to what really is, what is happening, and then what is my co-creative response to it. If I don't even listen, if I shut things out because I'm hell-bent on some direction, I'm kind of going on my own ego's power, but I'm not attuned to larger forces. And those kinds of efforts, while they may be short-term successful, are not sustainable, either for me as an individual or any individual, or in the world. What happens is we get either burned out or we do something and as soon as we quit, paying attention to it, it kind of falls apart. But to really do things that accord the larger picture, we have to accord the larger picture. Mm -hmm. And that means we have to listen. We have to pay attention to what is going on, which means it's great to have dreams, but hold them in a way where we're still listening. That's, that's one of the big things I learned. And if we could make that slightly more tangible, because you said you have experienced that, that it even affected your health. Going back to your time at NASA, how did you experience it? Well, 
for a while, my heart couldn't take it. I mean, part of what I was doing at NASA and part of the way I was living was that I was doing everything so that NASA would give me my dream. You know, they'd make me an astronaut. Mm -hmm. So I was very attuned to what did everybody think about me? You know, did they notice me at this meeting? Did I say the right thing here? Did I show up okay there? And when I always positioning what I said or being worried that one of my many flaws would show. For example, I have a fierce allergy to cats. And I was so afraid that, the, that someone would find that out because I thought, oh, that could disqualify me in, in, my, in getting my dream. And you'd think that wouldn't come up very often in a workplace setting, but you'd be surprised. Every time someone would invite me to a party or over for dinner, I'd think, oh, do they have a cat? Am I going to be found out? But just that process of always a little bit walking on eggshells or shielding mm -hmm. myself or trying to look perfect created a dissonance inside where my heart could not take it. And it started getting very irregular. And I didn't understand what was wrong, but I sure didn't want to go to a doctor because, you know, NASA could find out. So I kind of ignored it and tried to manage it. By this time, I had already developed a meditation practice. I had started in Zen meditation in graduate school when, as a part of my work in martial arts and Aikido. My Aikido teacher introduced me to Zen and I really took to it, but I was kind of using it at this period of my life to manage the stress, to see if I could, you know, manage my heartbeat a little more regularly. And there's a lot you can do with your breath mm -hmm. that helps your heart, but it still got worse. And what happened eventually was waking up at 327 one morning with my heart racing over 200 beats a minute, feeling like a freight train was running through my body. That's a terrifying feeling. And I had pain shooting down my left arm. I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm. I was 34 years old. And it really woke me up in more ways than one to say, whatever I was doing, I had to stop. And that was almost like something lifted out of me at that point, as if some kind of burden or some baggage I was carrying, he finally let go. And I could really finally look at my life and say, I don't know what my dream is anymore. What do people need from me? What, in, in other words, it turned to being of service rather than trying to impress people. It was more, what could I do that would be of value? And that flip really turned everything around in my work. I mean, I'm always a bit heartbroken, very sad when I hear stories like these that create a change. And it takes quite some tough experiences in order to have this wake-up call, right? However, at the same time, it does something to us and it makes us think. I, I had a similar, well, two similar experiences, actually. And they, they really made me think, how far do I want to go before I actually realize, okay, how can I be of service to others, but also to myself? That's right. Um, One of my Zen teachers had a wonderful truth, Kathleen. He said, there are two great teachers in life, meditation and suffering. Mm -hmm. He said, I prefer meditation, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but suffering gets to us. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, if we think about the big lessons of our life, they don't come along when we're just having a you know, a Spring Valley day, you know, they don't come along in the sweetness in life. They come Very along true. when we're really shaken to our roots. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for, for sharing this story so openly and sharing your experience with us. And you mentioned that you became a senior leader at NASA and you have a scientific background. 
senior leader in what I would think used to be quite a male-dominated environment. So tell us more about this experience. What did you take away from it? What were your key learnings, but also the key challenges at this time? It was a male-dominated environment, but at a time when there was an interest and a willingness, including at NASA, to bring more women into leadership ranks. Mm. And I, I would say, quite honestly, I was a beneficiary of that. I rose mm. very quickly through the management ranks at NASA. And I'm, I'm very grateful to them for the leadership training they gave me. Mm. They, they put me in leadership, you know, grooming me for senior leadership experience or senior, le senior executive service in the government. And, and so that's where I was exposed to my earliest leadership programs. And something in me just clicked when I went into them that first, I wanted to be on the other side of them. I wanted to be teaching this stuff, not just taking it. And second, that the deep training, the deep physical training I knew from the dojo belonged in leadership development and it was not being taught. Everything I saw in these leadership programs was sort of cognitive and behavioral. It was like giving us leadership tips and strategies, so much leadership literature and courses do, but it wasn't embodied, it wasn't embedded, it wasn't the whole leader. It was more kind of from the head up. Yeah. And it just felt to me like it was a real miss when I knew how deep the kind of training I knew from Aikido and Zen could go to really change the human being. So it started gnawing on me that maybe this was my work to do. And indeed, uh, it became very clear to me by the mid 90s that it was. And I left NASA with two days of work lined up for the rest of my life <laughs> to launch into developing my own leadership business. And thankfully, it, it worked out. But I've been teaching yeah. and bringing in this mind, body and energy together in leadership since then. Yeah. And, and since then, you have been working with some major and big organizations and helped many, many leaders and individuals as well with the work that you have been doing. So tell our audience a little bit more about what it is you do exactly and how you help people, well, develop their leadership. For many years, I was teaching corporate leadership programs. And part of what I would bring to those that might be a little different or a little interesting to, to those listening is how we could use the body to really understand ourselves, even understanding the energy patterns in our nervous system and being able, you know, a lot of people knew about personality tests because they're very common in leadership programs. Indeed. But I introduced the only one that really integrated mind and body called mm -hmm. the Phoebe. It was one that, that I developed with my psychologist husband, Mark Kefauver. And it was based on these four energy patterns in our nervous system, but it also maps to dominant factors of personality. So when people could learn about their personality, they could see both what they favor, but it didn't have to type them or become a prison. It could just be like, okay, so I'm normally a really strong driver and I like to get things done, but I know how to access this other pattern called the collaborator when I need to. And they could physically access it. That's the beauty of linking mind and body is that when you make something physical, you make it trainable, you make yeah. it practicable. You put it in the body and that's where it really endures. Because if you think about it, the body stores things for the long run. Thoughts, I mean, think about your thoughts right now. They come and go so quickly, like billboards on a freeway, right? But the body retains things much longer term for better and for worse. Mm. So when we build good habits, they tend to endure. And when we build even habits in our personality, they tend to endure, but they don't have to become a prison. 
That's yeah. what I could start showing people in the programs is how they could apply the right energy at the right time, how they could use their body to be more centered, more stable under pressure, better able to connect with other people. And then in 2012, we had finished out closing in the a Zen training center, I call it a Zen dojo, where I teach and, and trained in, in Wisconsin. And I thought I could start bringing leaders here to do programs where they could be totally immersed in this inspiring mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. And so I founded the Institute for Zen Leadership, where now leaders could come to me in a self-selected sense, where I could work with them much more deeply on how to integrate these physical Zen practices into developing their leadership skills. So that's what I've really been focused on over the last decade, which is, is how to bring this embodied practices into leadership so people can uh, work with their energy, they can be more centered, they can develop these practices that resource them in these very turbulent times. I've just, I just got goosebumps when you spoke about your Zen Institute and leaders coming to you in a self-selected way and really immersing into this environment. I personally think that's something that's very much needed. And uh, I think it also comes from me being a leader or having been a leader in large corporates and experienced near burnout a few years ago. And I went solo traveling. My listeners will have heard about this story a few times, so I'm not going to go into detail. But amongst other countries, I went to Indonesia, to Bali, but to a very remote space, not a touristy space at all. And I don't know for what reason, but I ended up in a place called the Zen Resort. Oh. And it was a teeny tiny resort for individuals, basically, who needed to simply be and who needed to stop and to go inside instead of focus on the outside. And now imagine me completely worn out, not really understanding who I really was, who I was there to serve, what I really wanted in life, quite frustrated, depressed, unhealthy, and so on and so forth. Ending up in this place, having some, he isn't a life coach, but kind of acted as a life coach, practicing meditation, yoga every day and immersing into this quiet, tranquil environment. After three weeks, I was a completely different person. But that person was me. And why I'm telling the story right now is because it reminded, or when I started reading your book, Resonate, and I had the luck, obviously, to also um, enjoy your online course, I was thinking about this experience very, very much. And why is that? Because the owner actually of the resort, he said to me, Kathleen, everything that we experience, that we achieve is based on energy. Your feet are on the ground. Your thoughts are connected with your body. And you pass that on. And therefore, you're connected with the world. Nothing just happens. There is a strong connection. And it stuck with me and still sticks with me. I haven't gotten the scientific background to fully, fully grasp it. It's for me still something abstract, but there is a strong belief in it. And that's basically my very personal introduction to your book. <laughs> I'm holding it up here again. And you can't see it properly. I'm so, so sorry. It's called Resonate. And I think you are obviously the best person to share a little bit more about Resonate and what resonance actually is all about. 
what a wonderful journey you've had. Uh, I, I so appreciate that, that finding that place to stop and that recognition, it's all energy. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to start a discussion of resonance. To resonate is to vibrate with. That's what resonance is. It's that we vibrate with. And you might think, well, what exactly does that mean? But if you picture a body of water and you see two waves coming together, something's going to happen. You know, they're going to add up, interfere. Something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not a belief system. It's not a sometimes it happens, sometimes it's not. Something will happen. Mm -hmm. Waves interact. And when waves can interact in ways where they add up to something bigger, or one thing stirs or provides energy the other can use, we call that resonance. They're vibrating together. It's a, it's a fundamentally relational quality. So you might think, well, what does that have to do with us or with leadership or with everyday life? We are full of energy. We are pure energy. Even our matter is very rapidly vibrating forms of energy. But if you think about yourself right now or any of you listening, just think about the many vibrations going on in your body that you are aware of. Because the vibrations within a certain range we can sense, like your heartbeat. Your heartbeat you can feel, or your rate of breathing. You can feel your breath rate. You could also, you know that you have a certain rate at which you like to go to sleep, or a rate of eating, you know. Anything we do repetitively could be thought of as a frequency. And there's big, slow frequencies in our life, rhythms that, you know, take place over days and months. And there are slower, faster rhythms that happen within seconds. And all the way up to our very rapidly vibrating bodies that are able to digest and metabolize certain kinds of energy, like our eyes take in what we call visible light and our ears can take in air pressure waves that create yep. sound, right? You know, there all these are sources of energy. So when we start to sense the, these energetic fields, it starts to help us feel more like a part of what's going on rather than apart from. I want to think, so you mentioned my tornado warning earlier, but it's more like we're a weather system rather than a billiard ball. If you can imagine the difference between those two images, a weather system that's intrinsically has some form, but it's intrinsically interacting with everything around it versus something that's discrete and inert. We are not discrete or inert. We are co-creating with all the energies of the fields we're a part of. And when we tune into them, we get more energy to vibrate with. And as it works its way through our system, what we enact or bring into the world is the value we create. Yeah, I'm loving this. And I remember coming back into my workspace, right? Left it completely run down, tired, exhausted, irritable. And I came back and I remember people saying to me, what happened? You're calm, you're relaxed. And the thing was, suddenly I attracted people around me in a positive sense. I had a positive impact. I was more focused on my environment. And I just want to kind of share a tangible experience of leadership. Because we talked about leadership in a pre-conversation, right? It's not about our job title. It's about the value we can add to the people around us, to our environment, to the world, really. And feeling this was just beautiful. 
just being and being in tune with everything around me. Sorry, Ginny. No, it, it, what you say is so true. There's a feeling, some people describe it like coming home, coming mm. home to yourself, right? And it's such a beautiful feeling. And you think like, why can't I always be this way? But yep. what happens is that as we exist in these fields of energy and take things in, we can get stuck on this and that. You know, we can get triggered by this or upset by that. We get hooks into this, into some of the energy that we sense yeah. from not liking someone's tone of voice to not being or being afraid of what's going on in our community, to disliking what we listen to on the evening news, to you know name, name the things that trigger you. And as we develop these reactions, there's a physical tension that comes into the body because those emotions have a physical signature as well. And as that tension comes in, you know, we get tight, you know, I get tight in the jaw and tight in the body and it disrupts the natural flow of energy through us. So as an instrument, we become more uptight, upset. Mm -hmm. Energy gets stuck. It doesn't flow so easily, so clearly through us. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the effect we start having on other people is we trigger them. So when, when we're home and we are clear and we're feeling whole, there's an attractive quality to our energy. People want to be connected to that. But when we're anxious and upset and uptight and exuding a kind of anxiety, People want to keep their distance. They almost feel they have to protect themselves from that kind of energy. And consciously or unconsciously, we are sending out a signal 24-7, all the time. Mm. We're feeding the field something. You mentioned the expression whole leader twice, a whole leadership. And you started already explaining a little bit more about what does whole leadership actually mean. Can we go a bit more into detail? And would you mind describing what does a whole leader look or what is it like for you? I'll give you two definitions of whole leadership. Mm -hmm. One is the definition that I could use in a corporate program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And the other is a definition I can use at the Institute for Zen Leadership. <laughs> Who share both? <laughs> okay. <laughs> When I go, the, the, the simple or the conventional meaning of whole leadership is when we bring the head and the body together. And we, we, say, we might say the head, the heart, and the guts is the way one of my colleagues who wrote a book of that title um, would describe it. I, in, in martial arts, we, we give a, a more Japanese term to the guts. We call it hara, H-A-R-A. And you'll see me refer to hara a great deal in the Resonate book because it is the center of power, including leadership power, mm -hmm. but also power in physical power of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And this integration of head, heart, and hara is one sense of wholeness we're talking about. It's an integrity or an integration where a leader's talk matches her walk, <laughs> where she can enact what she's saying because it runs all the way through her. That kind of integration happens, again, when mind and body are united. Or from a resonance point of view, we could say there is coherence. Mm -hmm. Our waves are adding up. We're not interfering with ourselves. We're not getting in our own way. We're not canceling our own value or self-sabotaging. That's one definition of whole leadership. And it becomes, it's a really important one because When a leader is under pressure, they're going to drop into those embedded habits. And remember I said earlier, the embedded habits are held in the body. 
So if I have a habit around looking out for number one or protecting myself or going aloof or getting volatile or whatever my pressure response might be, we sometimes call them leadership derailers in the programs that I teach, those will come out under pressure. If I'm able to manage myself more coherently, then when pressure comes in, I can center it, I can ground it. And we do practices in the programs I teach that help leaders be more centered. Now, the kind of whole leadership we teach at the Institute for Zen Leadership embraces all of that, but it goes even a step further. And that further step is a genuine experience that is available to people who <laughs> willingly engage in the depth of contemplative practice that is Zen training. When you deal with Zen training and deal with that deep meditation, you can enter states where you genuinely experience the connectedness of all things including yourself. When you have that experience, that is wholeness writ large. It is what my Zen teacher's teacher would say, the recognition that the true human body, your true human body is the entire universe. Mm -hmm. That sense of unity with all that is can be a genuine experience, not a belief system. And when it becomes an experience, and it gets integrated in an embodied leader and, and the walk and the talk match, the way it functions in the world operates out of the wisdom of connectedness. It acts in service of the whole picture, yeah. not looking out for number one, yeah. not self-survival. It's going to act for the whole picture. Absolutely. And you said that you support, obviously, leaders at the Institute for Zen Leadership to get into that space. That's right. Right? It's our work. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really curious to understand a little bit more what happens there. So leaders come to you. They have goals, probably. They bring with them. What, what will happen in reality? What's the approach? What's the process? Because not every person is the same. No, no. Thank God. I, that's right. right? That's right. Um, and yet... The path home for every person has some common elements to it because even though home is different for each person, you know, it's unique to each individual. Mm. The path there is this kind of settling down, slowing down, clearing out, releasing, relaxing, um, stabilizing. So what we do is we ask people when they come to our programs to come with a goal or a project or a challenge that they're chewing on, they're working on, so they have a way to focus what they're learning. And then we give them sort of a parfait of physical practices from Zen meditation to breathing exercises to different kinds of physical practices that will help move the energy in their body, plus leadership skills from how they can apply this to shifting a problem to an opportunity, how they can take a conflict situation and turn it around, how they can look from sort of the tyranny of the or to a greater resolution of seeming dualities and, and get to a transcendent and. We give them practical ways they can apply it in their leadership pertaining back to that challenge or mm -hmm. goal or, or, or issue they came in with. Yeah. We then go deeper in helping them explore the barriers that get in the way, which are these unconsciously held fears to which no human being is immune. We all have a set, as long as we have human needs, we can have fears that those needs won't be met. Needs from basic things like, like 
physical well-being and security, maybe even financial security, mm -hmm. needs to be loved and belong, to be respected, to be achieving, to be serving my purpose in the world. Mm -hmm. We have needs at different levels. We could almost think of them as a Maslow's hierarchy of mm -hmm. needs and fears that can go with it that I'm not good enough here or loved enough or worthwhile enough or this enough or that enough. And we live in cultures that play to those fears or even exacerbate those fears by mm -hmm. offering us one product after another to give us temporary relief, right? Yeah, absolutely. In, <laughs> that's right. But in Zen leadership training, we go right into the fear to how to penetrate and release them. Because the depth of Zen meditation gets underneath these kind of habits where they can start to free up or at least we see through them. We can start to see what's, how, our, how our system is operating rather than being caught in the knee-jerk reaction. And that gives an enormous amount of freedom. And you offer some beautiful either self-reflection exercises to go really deep and identify the fear or the fears. But you also offer in your book in particular, but also on the course, some brilliant physical exercises. And, and as a coach, I'm a huge fan of those because you feel, you sense, you notice what's really going on in you. And then you may be changing positions and tap into different ego states or whatever it is. So I find them very, very powerful. However, I also know, particularly the leaders I'm working with, some feel very uncomfortable to do that, yeah. especially if they are not at your institute and they may need to do that on their own or they don't know who to do that with. So how can leaders start raising their level of self-awareness, really? Well, and it, it starts with self-awareness. And on a coach's part or a trainer's part, it, we, it takes from us a good deal of empathy to understand where someone is at and what, what's kind of the next opening that they're going to be capable of. So that, as you say, a lot of people can be uncomfortable. They don't, they don't live deeply in their bodies. But a place that I often will start that feels fairly safe for everyone is with simple breathing exercises, simple work with the breath. I mean, even now listening to us talk, I would invite any listener to just lengthen their exhale, just slow down their exhale and notice what happens, what they have to do, what you have to do to let your exhale be slower. Notice what has to happen in your rib cage or in your posture. Notice what changes in your hearing if your exhale is longer. It's such a simple gesture, and yet the exhale is particularly stimulating a part of our nervous system that helps us settle down. It's what we might call the relaxing part of the breath cycle. So part of what we practice is how to even use what you have to do anyway. Everyone has to breathe, so why not get it right? You know, why not use it as a tool to help settle down? Mm -hmm. And I find even very busy, hectic leaders, if you help them just slow down their exhale, they get a little moment of space. And they may not remember in an everyday flurry to slow down their exhale, but if, if you get, put it as a part of like a simple breathing exercise, and this is what I'll often introduce even in corporate programs, a simple breathing exercise that they suggest they do it in the morning. It might take a minute, right? Everyone has a minute. Mm -hmm. Then it helps them remember how important breath is as a tool to guide them in those maybe more stressful or volatile moments later in the day. So you start building a habit. That's where you can start building that physical awareness. Breath is a great connector between mind and body. It's a great ambassador 
Mm. So you can use that as an ambassador to help people start building that awareness. Mm. I often see the breath as the trunk of the body. That's, that's my picture for it, my visual. It gives you strength. It gives you even confidence. It has such a positive impact on anything really in your body. Your posture that you just mentioned as well gives you calm. It gives you more focus. It also really connects us with other people. You know, it's it, it, the people who study relationships, for example, will often notice how breath synchronizes in a well-synchronized conversation or how one of the practices I use as a coach is how I can use my own breath to help someone settle down by just matching someone's breath and then gently slowing it down. So because these kind of frequencies, it's not mystical or magical. You could put grandfather clocks in a room with their big pendulums and they'll try to synchronize with one another because it's a more stable energetic state. We are also like that. We try, you know, it's natural that we'll try to synchronize our walk when we're walking with people, if we're paying yeah. attention. It's yeah. natural that our breath will synchronize in a conversation when we're really trying to understand each other. We get on a similar wavelength, literally. And in the work that has been done, uh, where they'll hook people up with, you know, um, put them in functional or MRI machines, and, or they'll hook them up with electrodes, they can start to actually see the synchronization of brain waves in well-connected conversations. Versus when people are going like this, they're orthogonal, where they're, they're completely missing each other, that synchrony doesn't happen. So the, there's a very physical basis for some of the emotional feelings we have about how we really get in tune with ourselves and in tune with others. Now, you are someone who witnesses, I hope that sounds more positive <laughs> than I've just expressed it, who witnesses change and transformation in people. Let it be through your course. I saw a few fantastic comments and experiences being shared there in the community. Let it be at the Institute in your day-to-day -day work. And I'm... I'd love to hear a little bit more about the transformation that you indeed see. Because that must be so rewarding in terms of what happens to people that work with you. What are the differences you notice? What are the differences they share with you in the community as well? I'll tell you, it fills me with joy and gratitude daily. Mm -hmm. um, we work with a lot of physicians, for example, and this has been a really hard year for physicians, you know, with COVID and so much pressure and brokenness in the healthcare systems, so much overwork. And yet what I'm hearing from some of our physicians who have come through what we call our HEAL program, Healthy Embodied Agile Leadership, they have practices where they are able to center and, and be resilient under this kind of pressure. Or one of them tells me she's been asked to step into a major leadership role and her old self would say, I'm not ready, but her new self said, give it a try. And she's, and she won an award being faculty leader, director of the year in her wow. first year leading a, a, a faculty of uh, family medicine physicians. You know, she's just so wonderful. I, I think about the story of my own sister who, is a wonderful artist and she the first year she trained in zen leadership she she had a goal you know she people come in with a goal to make beautiful art in the second year it was to teach people to make beautiful art in the third year it was how to use art to help people break through their fears and that's what she's been helping people do is to create fearlessly is a, a course that she started teaching 
And she's a beloved teacher of this now. So you see the progression of, of how people go from thinking of their life on one scale to seeing how they can make it bigger. And even, again, more of service, how they can do things without limits or more fearlessly. And so when, the, and you know, just as you said earlier, how we tend to attract certain opportunities when we're ripe for them, right? When we're, when we're exuding the right kind of energy, when we're in a place where we're ready to step into a bigger role, those roles tend to arise. And suddenly we are of service to others. We step away from just focusing on our own ego, right? You could say, I'm a Zen master. I have a degree in X, Y, and Z. You know, I have achieved such and such. And I focus on myself, you know, my ego and sharing all my achievements. Or you say, how can I use all of my learnings this knowledge to be of value to others. It's such a big difference in it, isn't there? <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, it, it, it's such an irony to me is that all of our actions become a chain reaction that go on endlessly. And yet what's really finite is, is, the, is this paper cup ego. You know, that's, that's what's going to come and go, right? Yeah. And yet we invest so much in trying to prop it up, you know, use life in service of it, which is a completely wasted game. When in fact, when we flip it around, that's how we, in a sense, achieve immortality, right? It's not mm -hmm. through the ego, it's being of service. Yeah. And you have experiences with resonance yourself in your day-to-day -day life. What was the most memorable experience of resonance in your life that really had an impact on you? Wow. The most memorable, I, you know, there have, there have been so many times where I've been struck by the, just the, it feels wondrous when it happens, when things just kind of click together. I mean, even the stories I was sharing earlier of working with, with, uh, with students, you know, I, as a young person, you know, I shared earlier my dream to be an astronaut. I think even as a very young person, I was really struck by a feeling like I had to do something on purpose. You know, I had to do something purposeful. I, and I thought that was my purpose, you know. Um, I lost my purpose, and then I was kind of wandering around in the wilderness for some time, like, what's my purpose? I think the, the most, the greatest relief or relaxation I have felt from resonance is a sense of living on purpose and finding that purpose not in some great singular achievement that you get a trophy for, but this sense of just paying attention to what is, vibrating with it, and seeing what happens, mm -hmm. you know, seeing what comes through, and being open to that. It has shifted me from being a kind of um, a very ambitious person, I want to say, to being a more curious person like more uh, more more willing to say hmm what what wants to happen here that was not a question i could ask 20 years ago hmm what wants to happen here i wanted to make something happen here right <laughs> hmm what wants to happen here i would say in my in my zen training um there have been experiences of connection and a sense of resonance with the whole picture that have blown me away and that um, made it clear to me that this work was an important pathway for me and not, on, not only 
for this instrument to learn, but to somehow share with others. What a beautiful finish to today's episode. Thank you so much, Ginny, for being a wonderful guest, for sharing just a few parts of resonance with us. There's so much more to talk about, to explore, to be curious about. And therefore, I encourage everyone who's listening to the show, who's watching the show, who's hearing about this show to connect with Ginny and to learn more about what she's doing and join the big course and become this beautiful resonant leader. And therefore, it would be good to hear from you how people can connect with you and how they can actually find out more about you. Oh, thank you. What a generous offer. And what a wonderful time to have this conversation with you, Kathleen. So Resonate the Course is a, resonatethecourse.com is a simple way for them to find out about the, the course. Resonatethebook.com they can also use. To get in touch with me, the zenleader.global is our website for the Institute for Zen Leadership, zenleader.global, and they can learn about the Resonate course there, as well as the other Zen Leader courses and HEAL courses that we offer, and uh, they'll easily see how to contact me there. So no mystery. So the Resonate course, in fact, we're offering again this fall and would love to have people join it, and if people just go to resonatethecourse.com, they can learn about it. Absolutely. And we obviously are going to share the resources on our show notes as well. And I can highly recommend to, and check in particular the course out, um, the book obviously as well. It is not just an online course. It's highly interactive. It has a wonderful community that meets in person or in person, virtually in person as well, discusses and goes really deep. So if you want to explore your own transformation, some important changes to you, then this may be a very, very good start. And I can speak of my own experience. So thank you so much for being here, being a wonderful guest. It's been a pleasure, Ginny. I hope the tornado is going to pass very, very quickly. Take care of yourself and hopefully speak to you very soon again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.